The subject for the evening talk is life as a gift. Sometimes in our experience of ourselves and our collective participation in this world, we touch on places within which we would describe to others and to ourselves as being places of fear or greed or demands or aggression or aversion. And in the experience of such states of mind and all the imagery and thought which accompanies such states of mind, there is perhaps a deep, perhaps quite heartfelt wish to be free from such experiences. And it's as though there's a place of purity within, of wisdom and care within, which doesn't wish to persist in these experiences, doesn't want to see their continuity in oneself or in this world. And when we experience such states of mind from that inner place of wisdom, of purity, of heart, we're not only sensitive to the impact that it has on our own being, our own cellular life, but also the impact that it has too when it extends itself into the world, into the life of others. So, <coughs> spiritual life, one aspect of it we might say is looking at these unsatisfactory states of mind. And then there comes a, a view out of that purity of heart. There comes a view to find, which is quite appropriate, necessary and useful ways and means to actually work with what we are experiencing. To see if we can, as it were, emerge out of the darkness of such difficulties and such experiences into a, a, into a light and a brightness in which we're not haunted and troubled, if not victimized, by, by these states of mind. And so as a result of these perceptions coming out of this purity, we may embark on what we call practice, spiritual work, the transformation of consciousness, the, the employment of, of time and resources to help deal with and hopefully effectively transcend or transform what's difficult for us. And it certainly, as we know, takes a lot of commitment, a lot of awareness, a lot of working with, a lot of dedication to, to this. Because it's not only for our own generation of people, it's not only for the people that we 
live with and participate with, but the impact of it extends itself right down through future generations. And in looking in this way, we might say we employ, as I mentioned, the things of the world to help make that happen, help facilitate that. But perhaps, and this is what I want to go into a little bit more, <coughs> perhaps there's other ways of viewing the same which are different in their, different in the approach. <coughs> and some of you have been talking in the groups and in the one-to-one the -one meetings. And how easily we we are experiencing something which is happening inside which we we long to be free from, long to be able to let go of. And the usual kind of tactic and strategy which we would employ is one of engaging in an activity to help alleviate the situation so hopefully we, as it were, exhaust it, we, we burn it out. And so through the usual way is that through the course of time we have the wish and the hope that what, how we are now will change progressively to a situation of being that much clearer, wiser, more pure, or realized, or whatever. And there's much testimony to that. We can look, perhaps those who have participated in these processes over the years can look back and we can say without ego and without any pride or conceit that once upon a time I used to be experiencing my life this way. And as a result of doing this and doing that, as a result of of these various commitments that I've had towards inner change, I can now feel the fruits of this. I can now feel that it, despite everything, it has been worthwhile. It is beneficial. I have inwardly prospered by this. And so when in a comparison, I might say, we might say, I've seen this, I established certain conditions and causes, and to some degree, I experience the benefit, I experience the effect of this. And this very feeling, this very recognition and appreciation nourishes one. It, it gives us the, the, the wish through time to persist, to continue, and to be hopefully as diligent as we have been in the past to sustain it through into the future. And it would be an, an, an understandable factor. Sometimes, and again, as has been explored and touched upon in one or two of the meetings, sometimes, too, through this thread of time, which is the usual mode we use and think about, we also carry with us a certain ideal a certain idea about going from A through to B. Going from this state, whatever we may have thought about ourselves, towards some other state which we 
anticipate or we sense is different. And the ideal, the idea itself, through the processes, through the daily life, through the experiences, the ideal in different ways carries itself onward. It's like it's got its own momentum. Sometimes we don't know the idea or the ideal is being carried with us. Sometimes we only know we are carrying it in the effect of it. The, one of the effects, if we are carrying it and cherishing it and holding it and putting it up against ourselves or up against the situation, we know we've been carrying it because we feel disappointment. We feel regret. We feel resentful. We feel sorry. We, or whatever it might be. But some unpleasant feeling or whatever is the effect, is a result of carrying the ideal and it's not in tune with what is. And sometimes we notice that we carry the ideal, we begin to experience the meeting of the ideal with what is. As it were, the, the image and the actuality fuse together. And so something which you and I, we wanted, we hoped, we, we cherished, we, we carried, and then it happens for us. And so when the ideal and what is meet together, we're glad, we, we feel wonderful, we feel exhilarated, exuberant, we, we're overjoyed because it has happened, or whatever. Or we feel a deep sense of peace and contentment. So when we look at living and being with living, sometimes being with what is carries the thread of the ideal. What's the effect for us? But out of that effect, out of that out of that result, or whatever, is the seeds, in the effect, is the, is the seeds, is the raw material for the next movement, the next ideal, the next intention, the next kind of activity. So, you may be in your day-to-day -day here, if you look at your experience of today, and how you've been feeling about today, either a specific experience or the general sense, <clears throat> have you been looking at it as an effect of? Like, this happened in the past, this, 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 and now today I'm going through the fruits of this. And then what do you do when you're experiencing that, that you, you feel this is the fruits, this is the, the result of whatever, what do you do with that raw material? Because out of that raw material, that feeling of effect, one sows the seed for a new cause, a new extension, a new movement into the future, somewhere else to go, something else to, some place to arrive at. And this becomes our world. 
seeing causes in the past, experience effects of them in the present, doing something out of these effects, thus converting the effects into a new cause or causes for the future. And we get so used, we live like this, we think like this, we act like this, we believe so implicitly in this, we think this is only what life is. Conditions, effects, causes, future, con future results. In the conventional world, in the conventional nature of things, it can seem quite appropriate. And sometimes I notice in uh, the dialogues, in the communications, that sometimes what we want to do is put off, almost like that I'd say, put off an immediate change and opt for a safer one. And the opting for the safer one is to do it rather gradually. To actually implement some fresh ideas and some fresh ways and means so that in the course of time we'll have worked through something and then we can have the lovely feeling of having done that and look back over what we've done. And I think we can have more confidence in ourselves than that. I think we can use, as it were, employ the situation to view it in such a different kind of way that we're not thinking so much in terms of the present is a means to some future end. And I think this condition mode, and sometimes, especially if you're not familiar with some of the, the words here, it's not, oh, whatever, it's not easy to follow. But often, if we are honest with ourselves, when we look at the present, we view the present sometimes almost exclusively as a means towards an end. We make the present a commodity. We make the present something which I can use in order that I can get something from it in the future. And this pattern, this human pattern of relationship to the present means I keep using the present more and more and more, almost consuming the present, manipulating the present, exploiting the present, or activating the present in some way, skillful or unskillful, because it serves my purposes. Because that's the only way I know about looking at the present, is what it's going to give. What I'm going to get from it. And it's, and, and it's not easy 
to start shifting that kind of perception. When we're experiencing the world in this way and just only, as it were, looking at the present as an effect of or looking at the present as a means to, we are, to all intents and purposes, trapped in this way of looking. We're completely immersed and tied to the world through this way. And because we are tied to the world through this way, we can't really see the world. All we can see is how it is for me. How it, what it means to me. What I have to get from it. And so frequently we talk about seeing things as they are and seeing clearly and inquiring and investigating into things. But the mind, somehow the mind wants something from it. Can there be a way of looking into things and not anything to get out of it? What would that mean? What would that mean to look at the world, to look at life, perhaps just for a moment, with nothing to get from it. That, that there's no asking anything, anything from life. What would, what would that mean to us? You see, in the <coughs> way of um, being in the world, we hear again and again, we read and we, we know and we have kind of faint intimations from the texts and from experiences or whatever it might be, that we have to die, that self has to die. Let alone any physical, material, biological death but the dying of self. And sometimes it seems that we're less interested in the dying of self and more interested in improving of self, having a, 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 a better self, a more um, well-integrated self, or a, a more social self, or, a, or whatever it might be. And I think it seems to me that the construct, that, that the view, the idea, the deeply rooted idea of self is very much tied up with cause and effect. The use of the present as a means for what can I get from this. No matter how noble the what can I get from this might be, 
it still keeps giving support to this I. It still means that there is still cherishing of I taking place and it's still being substantiated every time we get a result, whether we regard it as a good result or a painful one. As long as we keep viewing in that way, self will be substantial, will be real, because we, self is tied to result. Can we die to this? So what would it mean for us to to let self fade away. What, would it, what does that mean? What does that, the intimation of that for us imply? To let, let self and wanting for self, to let that fade away, to let us experience, to feel the life and not want in that moment anything from it. No hope from it. No demands on the moment at all. And in a way, it seems to me that life, in a way, actually is a gift. It seems to me that the idea of self is nothing more than an idea. And I think it shows itself in, in lots of different ways. One of the ways it, se it seems that it shows itself is the actuality of life is that no matter what we may think, we cannot hold on to one single experience. That one, any particular event in our life, whether we call it shallow or deep, or profound or superficial or whatever it might be, not one of these experiences, no matter how much vitality there is, and how much energy, and how much what, whatever, that not one single experience can be maintained. Even if it's only to say it stops when one is in deep sleep. And that this unfoldment, this offerings in life, these emergencies in life just keep unfolding, keep outplaying, keep being revealed again and again. Whether the eye comes in and says, well, this is me and this is mine, or whether it doesn't come in and say, this isn't me and this isn't mine, or whatever, it still unfolds itself. It still subsides. It still unfolds itself and it still subsides. Like it or not, want it or not, approve of it or not, 
it still keeps unfolding. Interpret it as cause and effect. Interpret it as means and ends. Interpret it this way. Interpret it that way. Still life keeps unfolding. It still keeps revealing itself and it keeps fading. So I wonder if whether... We can be watchful, at least, of ideals. One of the most common ones of ideals we have here, and it's reinforced through the language, it's reinforced through the teaching, it's reinforced through the meditation instructions, it's reinforced through the posture and everything, the ideal of being here and now. And out of this ideal which we established, which in the ideal of being here and now, we have times when we are, and we feel perhaps satisfied with that, we feel content with that, we feel, aha, I am now getting into the practice, I am now getting into my practice, I am now getting established. So our ideal is being used to give support to I, getting it, getting I firm, steady, feeling good, or whatever. But since we established through all these instructions this ideal of be here and now and be in touch and be mindful and be clear and be observant and all these infinite number of bees, we keep experiencing the not and sometimes it seems grossly unfair that as much as you and I cherish and are devoted and are committed and working diligently to be here now as much as we engage in that we keep revealing its opposite And because one keeps revealing the other, because being here and now keeps revealing not being here and now, we go through a variety of feelings because of that. Satisfied when it is and not satisfied when it isn't. What are we doing? What are we doing? And so, the be here and now and all that goes along with it becomes a means. It becomes a means to perpetuate self. Either through the contact with the here and now or through the discontent. Are we ready to die? So even when the difficult mind states of the fears and the greed and the 
variation of things and the multiplicity of the world of phenomena and all that's evident in this here and, here and now. Even when the, the, the difficult mind states are not present, not troubling or whatever, still in our calmness, in our being present, still I gains its support, gains its substance. So are we willing not only to see through the painful and difficult mind states, but also are we willing to give up here and now? Are we willing to give up things of time? Are we willing just to allow life to be a gift? Are we willing to regard whatever unfolds as an offering? All of it. An offering or a gift that as far as I goes, as far as self or me or my goes, seems almost an irrelevancy. That it doesn't, whatever's being unfolded, this gift called life, this offering of existence, is just taking place in its own nature of things. And the eye which appears with it sometimes and doesn't appear with it sometimes doesn't really matter much. And certainly nothing is going on in the world to make I real. Just the nature, just the gift of existence. So that life isn't something for me, something which is going to confirm me or to affirm me or to something which I am going to realize or know or be enlightened or I'm going to get or whatever. It requires a humility, a simple humility of it's just, a, it's just all a gift. It's just a, an offering. And that gift, that offering, without attributing it to any source or any cause or using any words or labels in any way, it's rather evidently rather a vast offering. Rather a vast presence. We only have to walk out into the night hours and look up at the night sky to see how vast it all is. We only have to focus our eye on a, on a flower or on a, on a leaf or a 
or an ant making its way across the path or whatever. See how vast it all is. And in those very simple perceptions, in which there's not what's in it for me, what am I going to get out of it, when that's just, it isn't occurring. Those perceptions are being touched by what is vast. And there's no cause and effect there, there's no means and end, there's no results of. None, all of that interpretation doesn't have any relevance. There's just a sense of something vast, something quietly awesome. And it's not restricted to the here and now in any way because it's equally revealed in any movement of mind, any state of experience, any occurrence which may take place. Whatever the occurrence is, it's only a revelation of how vast it all is. The very contractions of life are, are a revelation of how vast it all is. Whether the mind is dull and cloudy and confused, whether it's clear and bright, whether it's full of energy or whether it's exhausted and burnt out, whatever, all is the same revelation. And couldn't have one without t'other. One couldn't have being here and now unless there was not being here and now. That's why I say life is an offering. It's a, a gift without measure. May perceptions be touched by what is vast. May experience be an ongoing revelation of what is vast. May we live with joy and wonder. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.